conversations with prominent pastors, teachers, and leaders. This is the Pastor Well Podcast from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Now your host, Dr. Herschel York. Hello and welcome to Pastor Well. This is Herschel York. I'm the Dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and pastor of the Buck Run Baptist Church in Frankfurt. The Pastor Well Podcast is dedicated to helping those who serve the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ be faithful in ministry. We like to engage in encouraging uh, and instructive conversations. Nobody instructs and encourages me quite like Amy Whitfield. Uh, Welcome to Pastor Well, Amy. It is a joy to be here. It's really fun to sit across the table with you and to uh, just have a conversation. Well, you are a woman of, uh, you wear a lot of hats. I do. Uh, So in the Southern Baptist Convention, you're significant because you are the Vice President of Communications for the Executive Committee. Yeah, it's kind of Associate Vice President for Convention Communications. So I handle all the public relations side of things, tell the story. Uh, And you also uh, co-host the podcast SBC This Week with Jonathan Howe. That's correct. We've been doing that for about, I don't even remember, I think it's been four years now. Maybe Uh, we're getting on five. At this recording, I think 235 episodes. Yes, I think so. Every (laughs) one of them memorable. Oh, absolutely. Here's the big trivia question. Uh, You mentioned me and Tanya on one for a newsworthy event. Do you remember what it was? Oh my goodness! I didn't. Was think it you when were... you became dean? No, no. It was when we were in Hawaii. Yes. Uh, and the missile alert came in. <gasps> That's right. Yeah, we got the thing on our phone. That's right. I remember. I remember that. Yes. <laughs> I think BP had an article about it, and yes. uh, you guys talked about it. Yes. I think that's the only newsworthy thing in my life. I remember that. Me. I'm pretty sure we talked about when you became dean. Maybe. I think so. I don't listen all the time. That's okay. So That's all right. I might have missed that. But That's I knew right. the one about Hawaii. But I but I try to not be too stalkerish. Whenever you all come up, um, I, I want to go on and on about how Tanya is one of my favorite people in the entire world. And so. Well, I, all I, I can say is you've got very good taste. All right. She's <laughs> definitely one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, too. Well, uh, and you're married to... Mm-hmm. Dr. Keith Whitfield. Who That's right. Is, what is his official title at Southeastern? He, he is the uh, Vice President for Academic Administration at Southeastern Seminary and also Dean of Graduate Studies there, and he uh, teaches systematic theology. He's so. a systematic theologian. He is. Uh, so do you guys engage in theological discussions a lot? Um, we do sometimes. We've now reached that season in life. Uh, our kids are teenagers. They don't really enjoy all of that at the dinner table. And so we have to learn how to uh, talk about things that are maybe a little more fun. We talk a lot about football and, and uh, things that interest them. But it's been sort of part of our, our marriage. When we got married, he was a seminary student. And that's just sort of what what we do. We talk about our day, and that includes theology. Well, and that's where I met you. That's right. Uh, You worked in the School of Theology office. I did. You were, I think Danny Aiken was the Mm -hmm. dean. Yes. And you were his assistant. I I was. So I started out working in the PhD office, and then um, about a year later, I started working as the assistant to Dr. Aiken. And so um, that's kind of how I really got into this whole Southern Baptist world and learning how the denomination works. Well, uh, I want to say two things. First of all, you know, the people you work with Mm -hmm. make the difference in whether or not you you enjoy your job. And if you don't enjoy your job, it's hard to enjoy life. Uh, We have been blessed, man, the folks that have been in the School of Theology office, I've been there 23 years, have really been wonderful. And uh, 
you were just a bright spot. Uh, Tanya and I fell in love with you in those days, and we have cheered for you and followed you through those the years. So what years were you and Keith at Southern? Um, so he came in 1998, uh, and we were still actually didn't even know what was going to happen. On our first date, we were introduced by some mutual friends, and on the the very first date, he told me that he was getting ready to move to Louisville, Kentucky for seminary. And my initial thought was, why did you agree to go on a date with someone if you're getting ready to move to seminary? And I thought, well, this is not going to go anywhere. And then a couple years later, we were getting married and I was moving up to Louisville. So You just love it when the I know. long hand of God's providence just reaches down and yes. so, shocks you. So I got there at the end of 99 and uh, then we were there basically for the next five and a half years um, until summer of 2005 when we moved to Virginia for him to pastor. So uh, tell me about how did how did it move past the first date? So <laughs> he says I'm going, I'm uh, and and apparently does, but yeah, you know it's interesting. I always tell because he stayed there. We were both in South Carolina at the time. I was in my um, senior year of college, and he was where, where at, were you going? at Converse College. It's a women's college in Spartanburg, and he was working at a ministry there in town, and then getting ready to move in about six months. And uh, the way we tell the story, there's a lot more details, but uh, is, I mean, he just kind of kept calling and I didn't have a reason to say no. He was fun. So I just kept going out when, when he would call. And, <clears throat> and I assumed that when he left, it would fizzle out. And instead, when he left and went to Kentucky, we missed each other. Wow. So it, it sort of hung on. And then about nine months later after he went, we were engaged and then we got married the next year. So nine months, a uh, long distance relationship. Yes. Uh, and then like how soon after you got married, did you move to Louisville? Like immediately? Well, um, so when we got engaged, we had a long engagement, which, uh, I do not ever recommend to people. Uh, nor do I. Yes. But I had, I was in a, a job. I was a live-in nanny. That was my first job out of college. And, uh, I was under a contract and, and so needed to finish that out. And so we were engaged for a really long time, got married in December of 99. So he was there for two years as a single student. You Did you grow up in a Christian home? Were you a believer I, uh, I did. early in life? Um, here's how I, I usually explain it. I grew up in a Christian home. I was in church from the earliest memory whenever the doors were open, um, but the way that I came to understand um, the message of salvation was in an extremely legalistic way. That's how I processed it. And uh, and that actually manifested itself in a lot of anxiety for me. Um, I desperately wanted to know the Lord. I wanted to be saved. And so I was going to do whatever I could. Um, so when I was 13, I did walk down an aisle I always believed that Jesus was the Son of God. I always believed um, what, the things that had happened in his life, but I still assumed that I needed to do things in order to get to to God, in order for him to accept me. And uh, I had a real mark in my freshman year of college when a friend who I was actually witnessing to and bringing her uh, to events, bringing her to things, she's hearing the gospel— and I, uh, she came to me and said, I don't understand if 
if Jesus came to earth and he was so wonderful and he performed all these miracles and people loved him, why did he, why didn't he just stay? Why did he have to die? And I did not know the answer. That's a real marker for me to recognize and understand what I didn't understand, even as I had been working to please the Lord. And so I was at um, an FCA retreat in, uh, in North Carolina at Ridgecrest. And a friend of mine was doing a huddle group. And so she was giving me an example about how um, she had asked her group, what percentage did you feel like you would be saved if you were to go to heaven? What's the percentage? How likely is it today? And in my mind, as she's sharing this story with me, she has no idea what I'm working through. I was thinking, well, I'm at a retreat. It's been, you know, I'm probably about 75%. Things are pretty good. And uh, then she just in the conversation said, well, then I explained to them that it can only be 0% or 100%. Yeah. And I thought, what am I missing here? And I didn't say anything. I just kept nodding and smiling. Well, we split up to go our separate ways. And I'm, it's, uh, it's just rolling around in my mind. And I thought, how could it be zero or 100? And it was this, I mean, I can just feel, it was like the last piece of a jigsaw puzzle that I had heard pieces of the gospel for years. I went to a Christian high school. I had heard them at all of these things. And it was like the logic of the reason that it's zero or 100 is because it's about what Christ did, not what I did. And that's the moment that I accepted it. So I grew up in this whole setting and heard the gospel all my life. But I was 18 years old when the, your story is remarkably like Tanya's. Yeah, that's just amazing. I can remember the night she, it just hit her. We it was in our very first mm -hmm. few months of marriage. She said, "You mean God loves me the same no matter right. what I do?" Mm -hmm. It's you know it's in it's that grace awakening. Yeah. There's nothing like it in her life really and, changed then. And I used to wrestle with the fact I think a lot of people do that. You know, my testimony didn't seem very glamorous or anything special. And then one day, this was about 10, 15 years later, I was reading the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, you know, Jesus is, is placing them and saying, which one is, you know, is more justified. And it hit me, the Pharisee over here, that was me. That was me thinking that I could reach and and he saved me anyway. Like mm -hmm. he 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 did that. And I I I really at that point began to see how miraculous it was that I was convinced that I could figure out a way. And he opened my eyes. Praise the Lord. Yep. That's a great, great testimony. Uh and were you ever thinking, oh, I want to be in ministry or I want to marry someone in Absolutely ministry? Absolutely not. It was no. just like not on your radar <laughs> not, at all. Not on my radar at all. I was a politics major and really wanted to uh, work in messaging communications for, you know, a, for the political side on Capitol Hill, something like that. And I had this moment my junior year of college when it was um, time to do an internship and I had an opportunity to go to D.C., work in a, a senator's office, but what I wanted to do was do an internship at my church. And I look back on that and realize that was a very strange decision to make at the time. And so I was, uh, I, I liked working with um, girls, youth, youth girls uh, at the time. And so I look back and see some workings that the Lord was doing in my life where I was more drawn to ministry. 
Um, then I, you know, met Keith and he's off to seminary and I was very nervous about being a pastor's wife. My grandfather, uh, was a minister and my, it was, it, it took a toll on my grandmother, just the Mm -hmm. challenges of being a pastor's wife. And I had witnessed that. And so I was afraid of that life. And then I remember one day, it was very similar. I can remember where I was, uh, like this little light bulb went off that said, hold on, I've been feeling called to something. Ministry is what I want to spend my my time doing. If if this is who I believe I'm to be married to, I get to do this with him. This this can be my walk. And then so then I began to learn it doesn't have to be as hard as what I witnessed. We can set out for, you know, for something different and we can make that a, a goal. And uh, so at that stage, we just started walking together and doing ministry together for 20 years now um, has been one of the greatest blessings of my life. Indeed. Uh, you were a pastor's wife for a while. Keith mm-hmm. was a, a pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you like that? How did it go? Boy, it is. Um, it's it, it can be a difficult, challenging thing, and it can be a beautiful thing. And I think it was more beautiful than it was difficult. Um, even the hardest days, and I can remember some very painful ones, just some of it just sitting with people through painful situations, right. some of it figuring out how to navigate through uh, conflict, things like that. When you come out the other side from those those situations, uh, you can really see the beauty. You get to see the Lord working. Um one of the most difficult lessons, I think, was how much you have to sit with people in their pain mm-hmm. when you're in local church ministry, especially um, we were in a, a, a rural setting. You know, there was a, a, a season where he had an associate pastor, but there was a lot of the time that it was it was just him. So mm-hmm. it really was the two of us and um, learning how to have empathy while also keeping your emotional well-being to be able to parent your children, to be able to Mm -hmm. have a a healthy marriage. We had a lot of conversations in the kitchen. That was our place where we would really talk through things. Um, But I would not trade it for the world. It was, it was an incredible. You know, what we've discovered is that in the ministry, especially in the local church ministry, you have no control over the stuff that happens, you know, right. And you are simultaneously sometimes overwhelmed with waves of incredible joy and sorrow. Yes, yes. And you have no control over their duration. You have no right. control over their intensity. Uh, just last week, uh, and, you know, in our church, I had to deal with two suicide attempts, mm-hmm. uh, a baby with uh, a, a bacterial meningitis. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, these are... These are hard, hard things to sit with people. And yet at the same time, I'm just seeing the grace of God in such incredible ways. Right. Uh, And and you you have to walk out of one situation right into another. Yep. And uh, and you have to weep with those who weep and laugh with those who laugh. Right. That's that's what it is. Uh, and then Keith uh, left the pastorate to go to Southeastern. Right. We so we we had sort of a stopover here in Nashville. Um, it was it, a very interesting season for us. Um, we came here. He was finishing his dissertation, and we came to Nashville and were preparing to plant a church. 
and we were beginning, uh, we had a, a church that was sending us out here that we had, had been a part of and, and connected with. Keith was teaching in a small college locally, um, while we got ready for that. And we were in the middle of the core group had been formed, sort of the team that was going to come and do it with us. Fundraising was about to begin. And uh, the phone rang one night and it was uh, the the leadership at Southeastern. And it took me a while um, as much as I loved, obviously we were Mm -hmm. close with Dr. Aiken. It took me a while to wrestle with what was happening in that call because we had been sort of heading down this road and, um, and doors were opening and things were in really, there were some things that were falling into place. So what we did is we just tabled, we said, well, let's just stop these conversations for a little bit, um, that we were having the, the core group, we informed them everything that was going on. And over the course of about four months, a lot of prayer, two visits to North Carolina, tons of conversations, we finally said, well, we think that the Lord is pointing us in this direction. Um, and uh, it was interesting because we would sometimes ask ourselves, what were the, wh- what were those two years about? Um, but some of it really was, was I think, preparing Keith to, um, to train pastors. You know, he spent a lot of time in the area with local church planters and other people doing a lot of one-on-one mentoring. And so, we know the Lord used those two years and they were really a beautiful, sweet time for us. Uh, but that was kind of our little interlude before then going to, to North Carolina where we've been for almost eight years. Well, you and Keith really function as a team, even mm-hmm. though, I mean, both of you are doing different things. I mean, right. you, you're working with the EC now and, and, but you're still a professor's wife and, right. and he's your husband. And though you're doing this and you're raising, you're rearing children together. Right. Uh, so I would say your greatest teamwork would be in child rearing. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your kids. So we have a 16-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old son. Um, they were born, well, Mary was born in Louisville and was there. Uh, we were there until she was a year and a half. Drew was born right after we got to Virginia. So they their kind of formative years were, um, were when Keith was a pastor. And um, we really have treated our um, ministry as something that they're a part of too. Right. And of course it's a real balance because you, you don't want to just force them into everything you want to bring them into everything, mm-hmm. you know? And so they just, you know, when we were in Virginia, they went with me all over the place. You know, they were with me at, at church when I was working on certain things uh, in, in, in Virginia, I just was home with them, and then I had several ministries through the church there that I was involved in. And so as many things as they could could come with me, they did. And so they really just saw us pouring into people's lives. And um, I, I had grown up in a home where my dad worked in um, high school athletics administration, and so we were always with him. We were selling tickets at tournaments. We were selling Mm t-shirts. We were part of everything. We knew all of the people that he was working with. So that was not foreign to me. It was like, this is a family thing that we do. And so we just approached it in the same way. As they've gotten older, we've had to learn how to let some of their interests and, and things blossom. Our daughter is part of the leadership team, the student leadership team for their youth group. And we're learning how to 
We don't ask a lot of questions. You know, we we let her decide to apply for that. She's got a meeting. She goes. I'll ask her how how it was, but I also say, okay, I'm going to let you follow sort of your ministry path. And then our son has had some things he's helped in at the church. So letting them sort of grow and develop Mm -hmm. um, has been really important. But we just love, we love being together. We love just having, having a good time. We love, I just was talking to you earlier. We've loved every season and uh, the, the teenage years are even more enjoyable than I expected. Everybody talks like, oh, the teen years are just awful. I really think we need to reverse that narrative. I just yeah. don't think that's necessarily true. They're so much fun. I would say the hardest thing about the teen years has been the transition to sort of the emotional needs where when they're young, you got to do everything. Got to make their mm. food. You've got to take, you know, every step of their day, you have to be there. Um, when they are teenagers, you have to learn how to be emotionally present. We and we've even had to learn how to t- how to take things off our plate um, because in the middle years we we both had a lot going on. The kids would kind of go with us. We would do things. As they came into the teen years, we started to learn with each day. Maybe maybe we have something planned for that evening. Maybe we'll come home and find out that a conflict happened with a friend that day, and we've got to drop what oh. we're doing because we need to be able to sit for an hour and, and talk through that. And learning that we had to sort of shift our responsibilities so that we had flexibility to be present and how important that is, that was a big lesson for us. And then also learning how to now sit with them on hard days without it, you know, crushing our, our souls. Cause that, oh, that can be so hard when, when they're going through pain. You feel what they feel. Yes. You know, in the midst of all that, being a parent and Mm -hmm. you, you wrote a book, uh, SBC FAQs, FAQs, yeah. Uh, a ready reference. All right. Now. I'm a guy who grew up independent Baptist, right. made a very intentional decision to be a Southern Baptist, studied it in great detail before leading my church in and bringing you know myself entering the SBC. So I sort of geek out on this stuff. Right. Uh, I, I'm convinced that a lot of our younger uh, Southern Baptists growing up in churches and all don't have a deep understanding of right. or appreciation of the SBC. Mm-hmm. So why did you write the book and yeah. how can it help that situation? Well, it's it, that's been an interesting journey because I did not grow up Southern Baptist. Um, so I came out of a, a more um, fundamentalist you know, background as very independent, autonomous. And so um, all of it was new to me. I didn't understand anything about a denominational structure at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but what had be- you even been taught it was sort of wrong? Like yes. I grew up, it was like, yes. it was wrong. Yes, you do not have yeah. any, yeah. no structure. Um, so my journey sort of into a denominational service or denominational interest really came because I got married. I moved to Louisville. We had a little student apartment. Keith had a full load of classes and was working at uh, the, some in the Honeycutt Center and the Student Center. And we needed to be able to buy groceries. So I needed a job and I just started working at the seminary 
And so I didn't have any understanding. I didn't know who people were. Folks would walk into the office that were a big deal, and I had no clue who they were. That explains the way you treated me. <laughs> and then um, and then they would go to the annual meeting, and I didn't know what – all I knew was that everybody was gone. Yeah. I didn't know what was happening. Um so I started learning just as part of my job when we would have to get reports ready for things. I just would learn little by little what was going on. And then in 2006, when Keith was pastoring and we went for the first time, I sat there and I watched the whole thing. And it actually brought back a lot of the things and concepts that I had learned in college in my politics major. Because my focus was political philosophy and understanding how systems worked. Mm -hmm. And I can be a little obsessive about that. And and you got to remember, this was also a season when um, I was at home with the kids. And uh, I had this, I tell people, and, and my friends told me that this was not normal. I didn't realize it at the time. But it was this magical year where they would sleep from 8 at night. They would go to bed at 8. They would sleep until 8 in the morning. And then they napped from 1 to 5. So in those hours when they were, you know, asleep or whatever, I just, I was so interested in what was going on. Mm -hmm. The the blogs were getting big at that time. So I just started figuring it out and it was just my own interest. Well, a few years later when I started working for Lifeway um, and I was working with that communications team, we were navigating things that were happening at the convention and I would get in these conversations where everyone was worried about what was going to happen. And I would finally say, well, that person can't do that. The procedure doesn't let them. And everybody would just look at me mm -hmm. like, how do you know all this stuff? Right. And so it just kind of started after that, that I just, I just started learning as much as I could. And then I would sit down and figure out based on what motions were coming up, what, how this is going to go. But in the process and through the podcast, I realized nobody else understands these things. And so a um, mutual friend of ours, Keith Harper at uh, yeah, Southeastern. He used to be his pastor. Yes, at Southeastern, a uh, history professor. And he's, I, I finished my master's. And by the way, just like me, yes. I mean, Keith came out of the same yes. independent fundamentalist yes. group I, yeah. I grew up in. We, we were both same background. So, and when I um came at Southeastern, I had started a master's at Southern before our kids were born, one class at a time, and then I stopped, thought I would never pick it back up again, graduated from Southeastern like 18 years later. Uh, but he was my supervisor in my, in my master's, and he just said, I don't think people understand this. Do you think you can explain it? And I said, yeah, I can explain it. So it just kind of started and that book it took time but it really I mean I just it, it was just let's let's look in the bylaws let's figure out how to explain this in the most concise way possible because people want to be engaged but they don't know how right and that's what do you say to uh, the a young man or woman that are Southern Baptist uh, in in name only right but they go you know I just don't know that it's worth it and Right, uh, you know that they, they want to just let's just worry about our local church. Mm -hmm. What what do you say to them? I mean, the one thing that can can galvanize people the most is mission, and right. and really you have to point to um, the result, the end result, which in, in a sense is really looking at what our mission boards are doing. That's kind of the front line, and to say no, we really 
it's not just a cliche. It's not just a cliche. We really can do more together than we can do apart. Absolutely. And um, but then it's sort of the next step. You know, you you give them the vision. This is what you're being a part of. But then it's sort of the next step to say, okay, you want to be a part of it. Now let's talk about how. And I think the the one challenge that we had for a lot of years was convincing people why a business meeting was worth their time or worth their resources more than a conference mm-hmm. for their own edification or, or building up because you're competing with, they only have so many days a year they can do something. They only have so much money and they maybe are going to lots of conferences with breakout session speakers, which are great. I go to a lot of those too, but that's what you would get is they'd say, well, the, going to this business meeting is not worth my time. That's the part that's hard is to explain. Here's why this vote yeah. over a five minute period matters. Here's yeah. the difference. Well, there's, there's nothing like just showing up. Right. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a believer. Uh, the church I serve, Buck Run, we give 11% to a cooperative program. Nice. We this year had a, a, a Lottie Moon offering over $100,000. That's amazing. It, I it love is, it. It is amazing. We send a full contingent of messengers mm-hmm. to the SBC uh, if we possibly can. Uh, so I'm, I'm a believer. And as one who came into it in my mm-hmm. younger years, I see the necessity of it. And that's why I think you're, you're so key. Uh, I think your mentorship of young women, your leadership, uh, showing, you know, first of all, we, the SBC is complementarian. There's no question. Mm-hmm. It's in our, uh, our document. We, we believe that God made us equal, but he made us different. Uh, but we, we really want to use, uh, and to see God use, uh, women and leadership roles that are appropriate. Well, you're mm-hmm. one of those, Amy, that I just take great delight Thank in. You. How, how are you, raising up another generation of young women. Wow. Well, that's been an interesting thing that's developed over the last few years. And I think it has been that it's kind of been a chicken and egg thing that as more women have had um, opportunities to get involved, pathways to get involved, then we have sort of found each other. Um, There are so many ways that women can serve, um, certainly in, you know, in the local church. And I talked about at our church in Virginia, I did a number of just different types of things there. But also at the denominational level, I mean, we just have uh, we have so many different entities, so many different. And you go down to the state level and so many places for for people to use their talents. And most of my uh, friends who are, are in in that kind of service they're doing the things that they really were always good at. I mean, the the things like parliamentary procedure and, and uh, things that interest me now are the things that interested me when I was 15, the things that mm-hmm. I did when I was in college. They're the things that I was always good at. And that that sort of shows something right there because same thing, my friend Elizabeth Graham, who works at the um, the ERLC, she is a rock star event planner. And that's, she's just incredible at it. That's the place that the Lord has gifted her and that she can, um, can assist with that. So as those have opened up, we've all sort of found each other and then started saying, we need to have places for encouragement, for mutual encouragement, um, to learn from each other, because there are, um, there are some specific things that just being a, a woman in this space that we need to be able to learn 
um, together and to mentor each other in ways. And then also to encourage women, you know, who are, are coming up and there's so much more space than I think people even assume. I, I agree with that. I mean, we really do want women, uh, serving as trustees and, right. and committee members and, uh, and teaching and encouraging others. Well, uh, you are just a, a bright light in our convention. I'm very, very proud of you. I just can't tell you enough knowing you all these years. Uh, Keith and I got to be together in Bellingham, Washington right. uh, last summer. Tanya was there and your son was there. And we, we all just had a time of bragging on you. And and uh, we're just so grateful for you, for your ministry and the way you, you and Keith do it together. Such a great teamwork. I like to always conclude uh, Pastor Will uh episode with what I call the twinkling of an eye around just some quick questions okay, and just get your impression of things. Uh, okay. All right. Other than somebody you're related to married to, who uh, do you have a favorite preacher you like to listen to? Oh my goodness. A favorite preacher. Um, I love Danny Aiken. Danny Aiken is great. Uh, me too. I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite secular author? Somebody. Wendell Berry. Well, Wendell Berry, good Kentuckian. That's do you right. cook? I do. I love to cook. I don't bake. I have like two desserts that I know how to do, but I love to cook. What's your favorite? What's your best dish? Oh my goodness! Um, I uh, I've actually discovered a new uh, chili recipe lately that has been the first thing in quite a while that all four of us love. Mm. Now we can. I mean, I can serve something that everybody will eat, but that's been the one we've hit on that all four of us. You've got are a excited. Yes. All right. Yes. Do you remember the best class you ever took? Your favorite class you ever had? Oh yeah. Who? What was it was and 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 I I'm I'm not kidding. So I did. You know, I had uh, four years of college. I did MA uh, at both Southern and Southeastern, but I also took Seminary Wives Institute classes, and uh -huh. it was Marriage and Family with Tanya York. Oh wow! Well, uh, man. I, you know, I hear that a lot. No, and and this is this is why, because I came into that world knowing that I was called, knowing that I was there, you know, knowing that it was right to be married to Keith. But I also came in with a huge fear that I was not cut out for this, that I could not do it, that I could not be a pastor's wife. And it was when I sat in that class with Tanya that I thought. Um, if that's what it looks like, I think I can do that. And, um, she was a model for me and I learned a ton of things that still 20 years later resonate with me that stick in my mind. Yeah. So yes, I took, I've took a lot of great classes, but that's great. I'm not just saying I, I, that. I wasn't fishing for that. Yes. And I, I wasn't even thinking about that. I'd forgotten yeah. you took that, but, yeah. but I'm not surprised because, yeah. She's just all around wonderful. Yeah. What can I say? Yeah. And um, she's a great teacher. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm glad she's passed some of that on to you. And it's no wonder that I admire you so much <laughs> to, that she had a, a hand in shaping you that way. Well, yep. uh, Amy, it has been a joy to have you here on Pastor Well. I thank you so much for uh, your time. And, and may the Lord just bless you and Keith as you, you serve him together. Thank you. It has been an honor to get to sit and talk to you. Well, well thanks so much. And thank you for listening to us today on Pastor Well. And thank you for all of you who tuned in. I hope that you will subscribe on YouTube or on your favorite podcast app so don't miss an episode. I'll see you next time on Pastor Well.